It was Monday, December 5th, 1955, just four days after Rosa Parks had been arrested for uh, not giving up her seat on the bus. And here's Rosa Parks walking into the courthouse uh, amongst a huge crowd gathered. And a young lady in the crowd says, oh, she's so sweet. They've messed with the wrong one now. And then they kept chanting, they've messed with the wrong one now. Talking about Rosa Parks going in and she ended up being found guilty of breaking the segregation laws. So today's podcast is going to be covering Rosa Parks and the eagle attribute of sacrifice. This is J.D. Collier. This is the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Welcome. Created by Eagle Impact and Johnny Tilt Productions, this podcast honors and respects the service veterans and spouses, the social integrity heroes of our past, and the common American mutt. That's right, you. With this podcast, we provide a platform for respect. We respect the eagle, that is, the individual with a service background, the sworn hero from the uniform who has risked it all for our protection. Plus, we respect and honor the hoss, that is, the social integrity leader from our past, such as Franklin, Ulysses, Lincoln, and others from our American history. Finally, we respect you, the hound, as we discuss the topics of the day, listening and learning together to improve our work, home, and family. Each week, we will bring you value in the form of knowledge and perspective. Just like you heard, we are all in this together, so get ready for another excellent show. It's the Eagle, Haas, and Hound podcast. Okay, American Mutt, welcome to the podcast. Today we got a really good one. This is Rosa Parks. I've been threatening to do her for a long time, and now it's finally time. Uh, today is uh, April the 28th of uh, 2021, and... Um, Today's a special day for me personally because my son is, uh, it's, today's his birthday. And uh, speaking of sacrifice, that's uh, something that, you know, I was in service at the time. I was in the Navy um, and uh, I always remember the day he was born. I was on duty that day and uh, I had this beeper and my wife, uh, the pregnancy hadn't been going too well. So she had to be going in every, uh, like twice a week, she had to go into the Navy hospital and they had to check her out and make sure everything's okay. Um, but that day, beep, beep, beep. I got a beep from her that the baby's coming. They're taking the baby now. And it was about five weeks early. So uh, it was uh, kind of a crazy thing. And I'm, I'm in uniform and it was a long day. And uh, uh, our baby boy was born about 9.20 p.m. that night. So uh, I, f I became a dad for the first time uh, back in 1998. So today's my son's 23rd birthday. And uh, speaking of sacrifice, uh, you know, while he was starting to be a little toddler, that's that's when I was deployed with the Navy. Had two overseas deployments and uh, the long times away from home. That was a big sacrifice on me and also my wife because, you know, she counted on me for being there and doing stuff. And when I was gone, she had to do all the stuff. And so that's the thing when I talk about sacrifice, it's the spousal relationship, you know, the one flesh where uh, being in service, uh, you know, the, the spouse has to carry everything when the service member is, is gone on duty overseas. And uh, that is a tough sacrifice. And, you know, not to mention the sacrifice of missing your family. So, um, you know, being an eagle, I'm proud of that, of course. And, uh, but it's, it's sometimes not an easy thing uh, going through that experience and having to go through the sacrifice. So you can understand why I've got on this shirt, of course, I've got the service. But I've also got sacrifice. So um, when you think of an eagle, think about the service and sacrifice. 
And when you uh, tell them thank you for your service, maybe sometimes say thanks also for your sacrifice. So I'm going to get into Rosa Parks. Uh, she is definitely an American hero, somebody that many people know about. You know, she's the one who didn't give up her seat on that bus in, uh, back in Montgomery, Alabama in 1955. And uh, at the time, uh, she was 42 years old. And, you know, some, some people have criticisms. Everybody has criticisms about something. And, you know, there's always some kind of criticism. She wasn't, oh, she wasn't the only one who ever got arrested for not giving up her seat. Of course she wasn't, you know. You know, uh, you know, somebody might think that she was the first one, and she wasn't. There was, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of that nonsense going on, in, in, uh, especially in the South. Uh, but even other places, that same de facto segregation creeped up. Uh, and, and it wasn't a pleasant time for many Americans, many Americans, including the Afro-Americans that are, they are our brothers and our sisters. And uh, at the time, they were not treated right. And so that's, that's what I talk about. I, I really, uh, I want to educate my viewers. I want to educate youth, okay? And even someone like me, okay? I've, I'm 50 this year. I'm 50, and I'm still learning stuff. I mean, one thing that this journey has taught me is that, uh, you know, I have, I have a, a better appreciation for reading, uh, just picking up a book and reading it, learning, and uh, learning stuff that I didn't know. You know, I, I really, really appreciated reading Rosa Parks. It's called My Story. And it was written by Rosa Parks, okay? And she had help, a fellow named Jim Haskins was, was uh, probably helped her put it together. It was very well done. It talks about her whole life. But, uh, you know, uh, when I was growing up, I, you know, reading, reading uh, f uh, for a boy, you know, who's going to have to be the working man someday. My, my dad, he wasn't too keen on reading. My mom, she was really smart. She did a lot of reading, but, you know, my mom and dad didn't get along too well. And um, anyway, my dad... He basically, you know, instilled in me that reading is a waste of time, you know. <laughs> so I was out working with my dad a lot and not reading very much. And too bad I didn't develop the habit. Um, but, yeah, you know what? Everybody has a chance to uh, continue to develop. Even though I'm 50, I can I can pick up that habit of reading and, and really get into it. So I've read several books this year uh, just doing this podcast. And I will keep doing it. I think it's a great idea. So Rosa Parks, born in 1913, okay, uh, born in Tuskegee, Alabama, all right, down in the deep south. So she was there from the, from her, for her whole life. And, uh, you know, as a child, she, uh, didn't get to see her dad. She had to, she had to sacrifice not seeing her dad. Um, uh, he had, he, his kind of work was, was carpentry work and he was off building houses in other towns and far away and gone, you know, mostly absent. So, you know, it didn't do too well for her and her little brother, Sylvester, uh, not having their dad around, and that, that's that's too bad. Um, her mom was a strong woman, and her mom was a teacher. Um, but even the, even so, it was hard for her mom to keep uh, good employment, and uh, she was just doing the best that she could, uh, raising her kids basically on her own. And uh, throughout her story, uh, you know, in, in her early days, she had she bounced around, and it was tough for her to go to school. And sometimes when she went to school, she had to walk eight miles each way to go to school, okay? But she did it. Uh, she she wanted to get an education, and many of her family didn't get an education. In fact, uh, you know, she finally achieved her high school diploma at the age of 20. And uh, at the time, uh, African Americans they didn't have a chance or didn't do very well getting their school all the way to high school. Most of them didn't. Only 10% uh, were able to achieve a high school diploma, of which Rosa Parks was one of those. Um, there were so many barriers to going to school. 
The schools were segregated. Uh, back in 1896, the Plessy versus Ferguson thing where they looked at you know, segregation and basically made segregation legal, uh, the Supreme Court case. Uh, and I'm going to be covering that in one of my future episodes too, specifically that case because it really wrecked America's, uh, uh, so many generations of Americans because of it. And, uh, but the schools were supposed to be separate and equal, but they were not equal, okay? The brand new schools and the brand new books, they went for the Afro or the, the Euro-Americans, but the Afro-Americans, they got the seconds. They got to use the old books that were cast down after they were used. Uh, their buildings were old and falling apart and, you know, too, too bad for Rosa. She always, she had trouble with her tonsils when she was a kid. She was always sick, tonsillitis. Missed a lot of school, always sick. And then you go to school, and, and if it's cold and the heater's not working very well, you get sicker, okay? And that happened to her. I mean, here's a picture where you got a little one-room schoolroom, and you got that little pot-belly stove in the middle. Uh, you know, the, the, the windows, there weren't even any windows. And, the, the, you know, they just had to try to keep the heat in as best they could. And anyway, there's all kinds of reasons why school wasn't very fun and it wasn't very, uh, you know, nurturing to the mind. Uh, it wasn't a fun place, and and, and it just uh, it was such a struggle just to get an education. But Rosa Parks did, even though her family had her moving around all the time. She was staying with grandmas and grandma, grandpa and grandma, and cousins, and um, you know she managed to to do some good stuff. Uh, she did manage uh, to to meet a very very few uh, what they call white um, people, and uh, most of the time her encounters weren't pleasant. Okay. She uh, experienced many times if she was walking through a, a neighborhood or, you know, coming back and forth to school or something like that, where uh, some of the kids would say ugly things, throw rocks, you name it. And uh, many times uh, she wasn't putting up with that. She would talk back. And, uh, you know, that kind of talk, um, she uh, got a warning from her, I think it was her aunt or her grandma, like, don't talk to, you know, a Euro-American, a white American that way, because you'll get in trouble and... You know, so there was all this discovery about, you know, what is this uh, separate but equal? She thought she was just a regular person, but she'd come to find out that she was being treated as a second-class citizen, okay? And so, uh, well, okay, so she grows up. She uh, eventually, when, when she was older, I guess a teenager, she finally got a chance to go, or even an early, uh, early teenager, got, a go, got a chance to go to Montgomery, Alabama, where they finally had a place where they could take her tonsils out, you know? And I think they took, I think it was her brother, they took, or maybe it was her cousin, they, they had two for one deal. <laughs> so they took the other guy, I think it was her brother, took the tonsils out just because. Um, but she felt a little bit better, but she still had struggles with health after uh, the tonsils were taken out. Um, anyway, uh, going into her professional life, uh, at the age of 18, she met uh, the man who had become her husband, uh, Raymond Parks. So Raymond, uh, at the time, he was 10 years older. Well, he was 10 years older than her. He was 28. She was 18. He was a barber, and uh, he, you know, was also involved in some of the uh, civil rights actions at the time. He was a member of the NAACP, and uh, as a barber, uh, he, you know, he probably could have done better than being a barber. But at the time, that's all he could. That's the only kind of work that he could find. And um, Rosa was a seamstress, so she. She uh, was domestically able to do those kind of things. And, um, you know, being that he was active in the civil rights stuff, uh, this is interesting that I found out from reading, is did you know that 
when when they wanted to have a meeting, okay, let's have an NAACP meeting about such and such, they would have to be really careful about having a meeting. They'd have to have somebody guarding, at, at, you know, because they were worried about attack, attack from the agitators, these KKK blokes, okay, these suckers who would try to come and uh, they would shoot them. I mean, they would they would try to lynch them, you know, and uh, they had to be very secretive about just having a meeting, okay, and uh, they, they couldn't talk about it. He wouldn't even tell Rosa what he was doing because he wanted her to have plausible deniability so that if, you know, somehow something went wrong and she was questioned, she could say, I don't know. You know, honestly, she could say she doesn't know. So, um, but that was out there. That was the kind of stuff that was going on. And so um, another thing that I found out from reading this was just how much nonsense it was to try to vote, okay? Uh, you know, you've heard me speak out about the, uh, the party that is anti that, that is racist. The racist party in America is the Democrat party and has been from the very beginning, okay? So the Democrats, they wanted to keep control of the South, in which they did. They passed all these segregation laws. They passed all these poll tax laws so that uh, trying to keep the African Americans from voting, and they succeeded. So um, Rosa, at the age of 32, finally was able to uh, vote or actually get registered to vote. It was very difficult. I mean, she had to try and try and try, and they only had certain times that, it, that you could go in there and register, like between 10 and noon, and they knew that they were working, so you couldn't get off to work. So, well, too bad, you know, at, at noon, boy, they closed that door, even if there was a long line out there. And then you have to take a test. Uh, you have to pass a test and make sure that you can understand English and know about the Constitution. And so she took the test, I think, three times. And the first two times she took the test, she was pretty sure she passed. I mean, but they're like, sorry, didn't pass. Off you go. And they never covered the answers that she had gone gotten wrong or supposedly had gotten wrong. They just had the ability to say, nope, didn't pass. And um, anyway... You know, there's so much ridiculousness about trying to get registered to vote, okay? And finally she did at the age of 32, and I believe it was 1945 at the time. So, yes, uh, and she she actually got registered to vote down in, in uh, Alabama, and her husband, he didn't even bother getting registered to vote until they moved up to Detroit uh, later on. So, one thing, because her husband was involved in NAACP, she ended up getting involved, and she showed up to a meeting. She thought she would see one of her friends there. Because another thing that was going on is, you know, there there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, respect for women at the time. And uh, the, the women's movement hadn't really gained a lot of uh, speed. And mostly everything was all centered around the men. Uh, she shows up to the meeting. She thought that her friend was going to be there that she had known from uh, Mrs. White's school. And uh, just let me back up a little bit because she did get a chance to attend a school uh, by Mrs. White, and she, Mrs. White, and the, all the teachers were uh, uh, Euro-American, and they were down from uh, Massachusetts or from the North. All these teachers were from the North, and they taught in a, in a Southern school, and in that school, they did the very best, and they, they taught somebody, everybody, including Rosa, Rosa Parks, to, to be uh, respectful and dignified and, and basically... Uh, you know, don't, they taught them not to uh, think of themselves as a second-class citizen, and that was a very good thing. And, you know, the sad thing, too, is here's a group of teachers who came in from the north, okay, to teach in the south, 
and they were ostracized and their school was burned down time and time and time again by the people in the South, the Southern Democrats, who they wanted to keep the control and they wanted to keep terrorizing and that's exactly what they did. And so all of this stuff, all of this stuff, just because of power and control, uh, because, you know, they, they just, it, it was just so insidious. And this, this thing about racism, racism is an evil, evil thing. And I speak about it so much, I say, foo racism, okay? Because it's the thing that drives this behavior, this this behavior even to killing somebody, okay? These people coming out and lynching. Uh, there's so much in here about how you had to be careful about, you know, just, just walking down the street, um, sitting in the bus, you know, and another thing that I found out from reading her book, did you know that the bus drivers in the South, they had so much power on driving that bus and they were armed, they had a pistol. So the bus driver who ended up getting her arrested, he had a, he had a sidearm, okay? And, you know, it, it's hard to talk back to a sidearm, you know, and how, why a bus driver would have to be armed it's because of the stupid segregation laws that they had to enforce, and they were pretty stupid. In fact, when he pulled over the bus and had the police come in, you know, the police, Rosa says, why, why, are you, why do you have to do this? Why are you always giving us a hard time? And, he's, and the police officer just said, ma'am, it's just the law, you know, and it was just the law. It was the segregation laws, and in fact, uh, you know, Rosa Parks, uh, you know, when when the, the bus driver told her, um, uh, are, are you going to go to the back of the bus or are you going to make me, uh, you know, call the police? And she's like, you know, you may do that, calling the police, which he did. And Rosa Parks, why was she chosen as the person for the case, by the way? So you know, or maybe you don't know, that because of her protest and being arrested, that was the, basically the event that ignited the bus boycott in, in Montgomery. So it was, it was a... a Thursday, I guess, uh, the 1st of December, and then um, when she was arrested that day, okay, and w that night she got home, but so many people had heard about this arrest, and th they printed out like 35,000 pamphlets, and they handed them out to all the schools and the churches, everywhere they could get the word out, and they said, we're going to start this thing on December the 5th, okay, they said on December the 5th, Monday, don't ride the buses, we will not be riding the buses on December 5th. They spread it around town. And that also was the day that they had to bring her in to, uh, you know, basically uh, find out if she's going to be guilty of, of breaking the law, which she did. She was found guilty. And so Rosa Parks, like I said earlier, wasn't the first one that had gone through this. There were other ones. I think uh, a young lady named Colvin. And uh, the problem with her is she was maybe 15 or 16, and, and she was pregnant. And so here's the South, and she was unwed, okay? So here's the South uh, giving her a hard time, and, and they would do that to anybody. If you had a plaintiff, if the NAACP or any lawyer who wants to take up a case had a plaintiff that uh, had a really good reason to, to be complaining and, and they, they want to take this case, um, somebody would try to shoot holes in that person's character, especially the media or anybody. They would find something wrong. And so the young lady who was pregnant and she was a, a teenager, uh, that wasn't a good case because of all the social issues. Well, here's Rosa Parks, who was 42 when she was arrested. She never had a, any kind of uh, legal problems in her past, never been arrested. She was as clean as a whistle. Um, she was polite. She was educated. And 
she just wasn't going to take this anymore, okay? And, and it turns out that she was the perfect plaintiff, okay? Yeah, she was found guilty in the first stage, and of course that's what they needed because they figured they had to appeal it through all the courts uh, to, to finally get this thing uh, taken care of, and, and it did. It finally all had to go all the way to the Supreme Court, um, but, but, but it, it may not have progressed that far if Rosa hadn't been such a strong character, okay? And she was, she was very, she was, she had the, she had gentle courage, okay? She was gentle, um, but she was very powerful. And uh, it, it's, it's good that she was who she was so that this movement could get the traction that it needed. And, um, you know, one of my favorite hosses I mentioned is Martin Luther King Jr. He was on the case, okay? He was selected to, to lead up this uh, committee. They, they formed up the Montgomery Improvement Association, the MIA, and they started uh, this bus boycott. And uh, I've talked about it before. The, some of the sacrifice that happened, and Rosa was part of the sacrifice, some of the sacrifice besides uh, sacrificing money, um, you know, to, to donate for it, um, also sacrificing having to walk instead of ride the bus or having to find a ride, either, uh, you know, somebody gets a car and, and carpools as many people as possible or whatever. That was a sacrifice, but another sacrifice um, was facing the, the real danger of violence, okay? Martin Luther King Jr., his house was bombed, okay, more than once. Rosa Parks, uh, she was receiving threatening phone calls, like, all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. In fact, her mom would answer the phone or would actually get on the phone with a, a friend and, like, talk for hours and hours and hours, just talking about anything so that the phone would be b busy <laughs> and they wouldn't be getting all these these uh, crank calls, these threatening calls for Rosa. Um, so there's a sacrifice right there. I mean, like I said, gentle courage. She was able to sacrifice to make this bus boycott thing happen and make it make it a reality. And it took over a year for the bus boycott to play out. And finally, that there was resolution uh, from the Supreme Court in that, uh, you know, making it illegal for, uh, uh, you know, segregating on buses or, you know, any, any kind of public transportation like that. So good for Rosa. Good for Rosa. This is an American hero. And, you know, some things, too, that I, I like writing, reading an autobiography because you hear, you get to understand what the person was going through, what their thoughts were, what their motivations were. And, and she talks about things like, you know, there were it, that that uh, incident on the bus wasn't the only thing that happened. Seems like that's the only thing everybody remembers about her. And she would she was complaining a little bit about that. Not a lot. She was just saying that, you know, but there was a lot of other stuff she did. She did a lot of speeches. She told her story many, many times and uh, just she realized that she was actually a, a very important part of this whole movement and, and she took on that responsibility very gracefully and she did her thing. She sacrificed her time and effort and, uh, you know, had to become this celebrity. She didn't want to really do it, but she ended up having to be sort of a celebrity. Uh, they named a street after her um, in, in, uh, in Detroit, Michigan. And so I'll say something about that too. So this thing about naming streets... I think that naming a street is a token honor and and can be disrespectful, okay? In 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 this way, I, I believe that it's pretty easy to name a street, okay? How much money did it cost the township or the city to uh, print up that sign, you know, and put it up on that pole? And, uh, okay, what else, you know? Uh, somebody like Martin Luther King Jr. There's a Martin Luther King Jr. street in almost every town in America now, probably. Um, 
So that's good. I like to see his name out there. And but but what is it for? Is it so that somebody can go, yep, Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights guy, yep, uh-huh. Um, but what else after that? Um, I think that, that that's as far as it goes sometimes, sadly, okay, that more things need to be done. But no, we'll just make a street sign, and that, that'll take care of it. See, well, you, what else you want? We named you a street sign. How about let's fix the problem? You know, don't just give a, put a street sign up there and name somebody on the street and think the problem is solved. It's not, okay? And as you can see today, we still have lots of problems with race in America. Uh, this whole concept of racism, it really bothers me a lot. You know, it's very, uh, very ugly. Started from the, the history of our country. Uh, I told you the Democrat Party was the, the main proponent, but the Republicans too. The Republicans are like, oh, you know, there, there was definitely some good Republicans back in... Uh, the very beginning, uh, Abraham Lincoln being the one of the very first, uh, but too much, too often, uh, the Republicans have come up too short. They're apathetic, okay? They haven't pressed for a solution and made sure that it continued to be, be solved. Too often, the Republicans didn't go into the all the neighborhoods where people are on the lower socioeconomic scale. They just avoided it and just kind of like, oh, just vote for us, just vote for us, and didn't really try hard enough okay so that that's that's evil not trying hard enough okay and of course it's evil to be plain old evil racist um but you got to try hard and, and take them down um and and unfortunately i see even the first person who uh uh the first i guess is the first uh, african-american elected to congress in in michigan in detroit's uh, first district uh john conyers okay he actually employed Rosa Parks to be a secretary for him uh, starting in 1964 and going until like the 90s. Um, well, maybe it wasn't quite that long, but she worked for him until she retired. Um, and, and he was a Democrat, okay? African-American fellow with the Democrat Party, the, the party of racism. And I just, it puzzles me why that is, okay? Why would, why would... Uh, someone who's against racism be with the party of racism. Tr Do you have an answer for me? Tell me. Uh, I'm confused. I'm, I'm wondering. I'm bewildered. Okay. The only thing I can think of is, you know, when Malcolm X, uh, before he became Malcolm X, he was Detroit red. He used to make his hair straightened out. He made it red. You know, he like he was trying to be not, not curly haired. He was trying to be straight. He was trying to look like he was not African American. He was trying to you know, become uh, the enemy, you know, in his mind being that they were the enemy. So maybe somebody who is African-American who signs up and becomes a Democrat, they, they're trying to sign up with the, with the enemy, okay? The Democrat Party is the party of racism. They're also the party of um, uh, um, the, the dominant caste, okay? America's dominant caste, most of the population, the majority is, is Euro-American, and uh, that party catered to the Euro-American with uh, every, its entire history. And so is it possible that the African-American wants to be part of that, uh, the, the winning dominant party? Is that, is that the reason why someone like John Conyers would run under the Democrat ticket? Um, I don't know. You know, what do you think? Um, am I off base here? You know, uh, I just, it just blows my mind, okay? And again, doing this reading, it's very clear to me uh, the evil of that party and what it has done to America. And, uh, and I, 
I want to educate as many people as possible to find out this stuff on your own, okay? Read for yourself, okay? You see, in my introduction, you see me walking into the library. I got this book from the library. Go to the library. It's free. Check out a book. Read it. And, uh, you know, take your kids there. Teach them the process of, of going to check out a book. And, you know, reading a book is different than going on the computer. You know, you can't always trust what's on the computer. This book was written in 1992. Um, she died in 2005 at the age of 92, but, you know, she was still alive, and she she got to see this book, and nothing changed in the book from the time it was written, okay? And it's on paper, and it, and it can be read and held in your hands. Uh, it's good stuff. So I propose you go to the library and check out some books and learn, as I am doing. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and finish up. Uh, she is definitely one of America's heroes. She's a hoss, Rosa Parks. Uh, everybody probably knows about her. And uh, I encourage you, when you get a chance, read her autobiography, Rosa Parks, My Story. This is J.D. Collier with Eagle Haas and Hound. Get up, quarter to four. I go to work and I hit the floor. Hard work, work. 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 All right, guys, that's awesome.